Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to go solo for our open, and then we've got Joel Henderson coming on later to continue our post-mortem series. He's talking about the Calgary Flames. But uh, for today's open, we're going to talk about today's Casperi uh, Kapanen for picks and Magic Beans trade that I know some folks in some fan bases are going to hate and some folks love it and we're going to we're going to break it all down. So long story short, these are two teams that are both contending right now but at slightly different phases of their build. You saw a couple of years ago the Penguins, they load up, they make the Kapanen, the initial Kapanen trade, getting Phil Kessel and sending Kapanen back to the Leafs who were rebuilding. They were loading up. They were able to add salary. This past summer, they needed to shed. So they trade Kessel. They get some prospects back. It clears the tables for them. They get to reset things. Now, the Leafs, they went out. They added Muzzin a year ago. They re-sign him to a contract, so now they've got no cap space. Now they need to shed to fit things back in. So this is just a matter of what you have to do when you're walking that line as teams spending all the way to the cap trying to contend with superstars. It's all part of the cycle. And I get there's a certain portion of the Leafs fan base that is going to hate this deal. You're just not going to like it. You can't stand the idea of giving up talented young players for magic beans that are picks and prospects. It's just going to have have to happen. But you just have to realize if you've ever done a budget, there's only so much money in the pot. In a cap world, you have to be aware of this as a sports fan. You can lament it all you want. It's part of the deal. It's not going away. And if you want to be a team that's contending for championships, you want them to keep the superstars. And the superstars dictate their price. Are Tavares, Matthews, Marner all worth $11 million? Who's to say? But it's what they were able to negotiate. So if you want those players on your team, you have to understand that they open a championship window for you. And that means you can't pay everyone. Bitching about losing Kapanen while the superstars are clogging the cap is like being upset about your rent payments, meaning that you're not able to keep up the insurance on the motorbike that you only occasionally drive. It's a luxury item, okay? The roof over your head is essential, just like the stars are to cup contention. So trade in your luxury motorbike, be able to afford your rent, and Maybe go out and get yourself a pedal like pedal bike, and maybe it'll be even better for you. You'll get healthier, and maybe you'll find it more enjoyable. And yeah, it'd be nice if you got the raise that you were hoping for back in March, but the economy is shit, so maybe that's just going to have to wait. And as we mentioned on the post mortems pod with Jay Fresh, Kapanen, the guy. You may not want to move him, but the guy that you don't want to move is also the piece that you have to move because it's the piece that you're more liable to get something from, right? It's it's cost-benefit analysis. It's value. If other teams are valuing this player, you also value them, then you sell the best for the return that you can get. And the Leafs did really well with their trade on Kapanen. 
that's about as strong as return as you could expect a, a, a high first rounder and no salary coming back in a flat cap environment that's huge the Leafs now have what, five roster slots to fill two on defense three in the forward slots and they're going to squeeze Mikheyev and Travis Dermott their two RFAs as tight as they can and then it's just a matter of filling out a couple of depth forward spots that they're going to assign to minimum deals like they did Jason Spezza. It could be Spezza back here once again. So there's a shot that they have roughly two and a half, three million to spend on a top four defenseman. And now they have these assets. You know, they've got Philip Hollander and they've got a first round pick. They'll also single-handedly keep the paper mill business alive with the number of times they're going to be bouncing Rasmus Sandin up and down from the AHL this coming season because you know that they're not going to be filling their roster every night and they're going to have him going up and down only when they actually have him in the lineup and they're they're never going to have the full 23 players on their roster because they're going to wriggle as much cap space as they can they're going to be using all the tricks at their disposal to open up whatever they can and you wonder They've got other medium-tier contracts along with Kapanen. They, they could trade a Janssen or a Kerfoot along with some of these assets that they just acquired for Kapanen. So I know Kapanen, he doesn't bring you back that defenseman that you crave, but maybe the assets that they got plus the cap flexibility plus one of those other guys gets you that defenseman that you need. And then you fill out the bottom lines on a shoestring budget. Because guess what? That's where you are within the build of your team. And in a couple of years, maybe the cap will have gone up. And some of those contracts will have aged out. And now you'll have cap space again. And maybe you can make some other moves and make some additions. You'll be at where Pittsburgh is. It's a possibility. And it's one opened up by this deal, which I think is a shrewd one for the Leafs. You just have to accept where you are within your building cycle. The championship window is open, but they're not at a stage where they can add. But now they could potentially add on defense because of this trade. Now for the Penguins, I think it makes sense. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. If we're talking the previous analogy, the Penguins, they've got cheaper rent, okay? Crosby, he signed earlier, he's obsessed with the number 87, and it just happens to be one of the greatest cap advantages that's ever existed, is the best player in the game deciding that he only wants 8.7 million, when he could ask for 12 plus. Like, it's just, it's unique, and it's wonderful, and it means that they can afford a luxury item like Kapanen. Now, I like getting the bird in the hand, okay? They they're at the stage where Crosby's already talking about maybe the window's closed, okay? Well, maybe it's not if they can add young, already developed talent. So they don't have to wait for the development of a draft pick, which they would have with the number 15 pick. And they don't have to wait on Hollander to come over and maybe do a couple of years in the AHL. They've done great work developing late-round picks, but they need some time in the AHL to develop before they come in. And I wonder... If even though Kapanen, you know, he's fast, he can score, but he's not a top six guy. And anyone who thinks he is, is probably deluding themselves or hoping that he takes another step. But generally players at 
23, 24, they aren't necessarily making, like, changing who they are. They just become better at what they are. And what he is is a really fast guy who his scoring comes and goes. He's almost a Michael Grabner, right? Except he doesn't kill penalties. But maybe he could. Maybe that's a little bit of what he adds to who he is. In any case, if they want to get back to their rope-a-dope style that they use so effectively en route to their last cup win, then he's definitely going to fit. And it's going to fit on the bottom six. And that's fine. He's an opportunistic player, even if he's not a completely play-driving, great impact guy. I just wonder, for the Penguins, the opportunity cost. Is this the best guy they could have added? Could they have kept the draft pick and gone out into free agency? You know, the the Penguins have killed it with late draft picks, and maybe that's part of the hubris for them. Ah, we, we never make early picks anyway, so why even bother? And I mean, they know who Kapanen is. They One of the only first-rounders that they've made in the last decade was Kapanen, and they ended up trading him to speed up their build and they won two cups it was it was worth it and now they're bringing him back in having outsourced the development so presumably they have all the background work done and they wouldn't have that on whoever they get in unrestricted free agency so like i said i don't hate it they didn't kill the leafs and the leafs were in a tough spot in this situation and the thing for me is capping in like if you played your cards right last summer Maybe you get Kapanen at the cost of only a second round pick because you signed him to an offer sheet that the Leafs couldn't match. But it's almost impossible to get RFAs to sign those contracts. Like that's easier said than done. And you also burn bridges with the opposing GM. So is it really worth that in the long run? Plus, we talked about windows of opportunity to add cap, not add cap. Last summer, they had to get rid of Kessel, so they weren't as flexible with their cap situation as they are this season. So now, they've got $10 million, and they've got both of their goalie slots to fill. Maybe Casey DeSmith comes up and fills one of those. It sure seems like Murray is on his way out, even though they've said they want to keep both guys. It just The, the, the money to spend on these positions just got tighter, but they, they've got the Nick Bugstad card to play, and he's... 4.1 million expiring so maybe they can turn him into something else or maybe he's an unfortunate buyout but they've got a couple more rfas to sign and it's the gap got tighter because of this addition and you wonder if it didn't reduce some of their flexibility and if they couldn't have waited longer to see what else would have come available but they jumped on this and they used the chips that they had because they're trying to take advantage of a rapidly closing window with Latang, Malkin, and Crosby all aging into their mid-30s. So I wouldn't have done this myself, but this isn't terrible for Pittsburgh. They added a player that they know, and ultimately this could be a win-win for two contending teams who just have slightly different incentives and positions with regard to where they are in terms of cap space. So Hopefully that breaks everything down for you and you realize how this stuff can really make sense for both sides. It doesn't always have to be one team absolutely killed the other, even though the potential for that was there. That didn't happen here. It looks like it could be a win-win, and I'm excited to see how it plays out because both these teams should be contending for cups next year. And for this segment in our uh, series of 
playoff post-mortems. I'm bringing on Joel Henderson. He covers the WHL and the Flames for Dauber Prospects and FC Hockey. He's a huge Flames fan, so uh, I I figured I'd bring him on to talk about the Flames and and what's been, I guess, a disappointing series of back-to-back first-round exits. Joel, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Good morning, good morning. Yeah, have you uh, have you gotten your coffee in? Are you fired up and, and ready, I, I guess, uh, talk about the Flames? <laughs> my coffee is in my hand as we speak, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm about three cups deep, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready to go here. Um, so so the kind of the theme of how I've been doing these podcasts is I'm asking the question, is the window open or closed? And for the Flames, do you think it's open or closed for them? I think it's closed, uh, personally. So a number of years ago, um, you know, maybe two, three years ago, four years ago, whenever they would start to ask Brad for living about this team, um, especially in the off season, the, the first thing that he would say is that we have to grow internally. And he said, if you're going to win, if you're going to keep going, you have to grow internally. You need your best players to be better next year. And I think I look at this team and I look at the makeup of it. Um, you know, Goudreau, Monaghan, Backlund, Lucic, Lindholm, Bennett, you know, uh, Mark Giordano, Hannafin, you know, if you're including some of the, the UFAs too, a lot of these guys, I don't know how much better they're going to get. Like, I think that you're getting their prime now. And so if you're going to get a push to continue to, to, to be an elite team, you need another gear from Matthew to, um, to Chuck. You need another gear from Dubé, which could be there. A little bit more from Majapane. But these aren't guys that are just going to spiral you to, the, to be a top contender. Um, they have some guys coming as well. I mean, if you get a, a healthy Valimaki, if you get a healthy Rasmus Anderson, um, you know, the whole way through and have him push to, um, yeah, but I just, I just, I don't know where the next push is coming from. So I think you have to kind of reassess the team and, and go from there. Um, another, another thing was like a couple of years ago, they basically decided that our problem is depth. You know, we have our top end guys, but we need to support them, especially come playoff times. We need more depth. And so they went out and what they thought, you know, they went out and, and tried to address that. They tried to give themselves versatility at the center position um, by trading for Elias Lindholm and signing Derek Ryan so that they could be a really, really deep uh, team down the middle potentially. Um, but I think what you saw these this playoffs is that um, there was just some of their, some of their top end players are, are at their top end or, you know, on the other side of it. Yeah, you look at this team and on paper, it feels like the window should be open. Their best players are all kind of in their prime or at the tail end of their prime. They've got really good players on defense and it's a defense that you can see continuing to grow and evolve as uh, Valimaki and Anderson fill larger and larger roles as, as you alluded to. But it just feels like if Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monahan are your top tier talents, it seems like those guys are never the best players in any playoff series that they seem to be going into. And so you end up with this situation where 
just right off the hop, you're starting behind the eight ball because you're going to be losing that top line type matchup. And it's just, it really raises the question, is there a limited ceiling on a team where those guys are your best players? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's no secret that they've had troubles. Um, <clears throat> but, I, you know, I've been kind of the one, I've been maybe a, a bit of a, a downer in the in the Twitter sphere about this stuff because, um, you know, I'm always about value. You know, you, you sense, um, and people understand that too, if they've ever played any game where you get to be the general manager, right? Like there's a sense of if, if this isn't working, if this isn't whatever, you don't want to wait too long to trade a player who's at the peak of their value. And there's a few of the guys in the Flames roster who they're on the other side of their value now. And so you make the decision, this is the time where you, you make the decision um, to push again or to, you know, to try to just change up the roster. And, and um, the only real narrative that I, I've kind of heard from different people is that you, maybe you just look for different supports, you know? So if Johnny is a, still a really elite player at um, gaining the zone with possession, uh, turning around, giving it to a defenseman, um, you know, how do you support Johnny with better line mates or just different line mates? You know, what opens up more space for him and what opens up more space for guys who can shoot the puck? They've tried to address this before. They tried to address it with James Neal. Um, they thought that they had something that really worked with Elias Lindholm, but that certainly didn't work down the stretch. And they've kind of jumbled him around different lines as well. So, and, you know, and Monaghan just wasn't very good in the playoffs um, he didn't have that, that he doesn't have that separation speed where he can kind of open himself on his own. And, and even you could see on the, the power play with uh, Dallas would just collapse on him. And so if Johnny would get it on the half wall, he'd put it down to Elias and right away, you know, he's going bang, bang to Monaghan and already there's two or three sticks there. So Monaghan, Monaghan can't get a, a shot off. So they just, they know what they're doing with them and, uh, and they, they just, they found a way to shut it down. Yeah, I wonder if this isn't a situation you look at, say, last year's Stanley Cup Finals, where the Bruins and the Blues, they had elite number one centermen in Bergeron and O'Reilly and these, these stacked top lines. But then you've got a second line where guys like Braden Shen and David Krejci, who aren't quite number one centermen, but they're overqualified as number two centermen, they they get to beat up on teams lower end lines and you wonder if the path forward if you're going to keep Gaudreau and Monaghan isn't to try to find a way to have those guys be on your second line rather than your first and so the question for me is Matthew Kachuk is he enough of a play driving force that he can become that number one line type player for them and I don't know how you find the centerman to match up with him. I, I, I think that Backlund's a, a very fine guy, but I don't think that you want him in a number one centerman matchup. But uh, is, is Kachuk, is this his team now? Uh, it, I, it is his team. Uh, this, this is his team now. But, and, and I think that's where the optimism came from the last couple of years is because if you have Johnny Imani and, you know, they talked about depth and you throw Elias Lindholm on that right wing, your second line, you know, a transition from Tchuk Backlund for Leak to Tchuk Backlund Manjapane now, and they've been a great, they've been a great line. They've been, uh, they produce points, they produce possession. 
Um, they're a hard matchup because all of them are very smart and they move the puck really, really well. They find each other on the ice in difficult areas. They all can open up the ice for, um, for each other just with little, little plays. And, and it just, it worked, it worked consistently. So when you have that depth pushing a whole team forward, it's awesome. But I think, yeah, absolutely. I think you kind of make that point of, um, maybe not in regular season, like, cause I still think Johnny Gaudreau is, you know, he's an elite playmaker on the power play. And, and when Monaghan gets it in that slot area, he's, there's very few people who have his, um, the delicacy and accuracy of his wrist shot, um, to, to just flick a wrist and to, to um, go above the pads. And so there's, they have just these unique styles, but you just saw it five on five that they, they were really easy to shut down. So if you're pushing those guys back to a secondary role, you know, to a second line type mentality, which I think some people have accepted a little bit, um, you know, it's still, it, there's still more to figure out. Now you mentioned the notion of value. We're two years away from Gaudreau hitting unrestricted free agency. And we're two years away from Kachuk hitting restricted free agency with arb rights and a $9 million qualifying offer. And I mean, he's, he's going to be looking to become an eight digit guy. And I think Gaudreau is going to be looking to become an eight digit guy. So the clock is ticking on these guys. If you're going to continue to go forward with them, you have to be prepared for those guys to be making nine, 10 plus million on the cap. So if you're not prepared to pay any of those guys that kind of money, then you almost have to start looking at trading them now. And if not now, then by next season's trade deadline where you're going to lose all that leverage and value. So is that something you would consider? Uh, not on to Chuck, like not even for a second. I think he's, um, I think he's one of those guys that um, every team just, covets um you can't get them you can't trade for them that guy who can put up points um to absolutely annoy other teams like you know it it is one of those <laughs> descriptions where you just you hate playing against them um and you love them on their on your team and uh you know from all accounts that i can see too everyone loves the guy as well but it's uh with johnny johnny's an interesting one to talk about value from um you know, because you have to you have to balance all the interpersonal type things. But if you are just looking at it from a value perspective, uh, he has a, a modified no trade clause um, in his last year, and so if you're looking for a window to trade him where you don't have as much limitations and you're looking to get maximum value, um, trading a Johnny Gaudreau with two years left on his contract, uh, if you have an idea that he's not going to sign, which you know that speculation has been out there for a long time. Uh, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if he's, if he's planning on staying or not, I have no indication on that, but, but if you're looking to trade him from maximum value now, this, it seems like, you know, maybe this summer or the trade deadline is, is the, the place to do it. Um, but it's all just about how you assess the team and uh, the team assessment over the last number of years has been, we're always close, but we need a shuffle. We're always close. We need a shuffle. Um, Treliving's never, you know, he's never been shy to, to make a big trade. Um, I've expected it at the draft. He's done it uh, pretty close to every year. So it's um, in like the last five years. So it's, yeah, there's some guys that if you're looking at absolute um, optimal trade value, this would be the time to do it. 
So one of the fantasy trades that I've kind of speculated about, and I think that the only way that you really extract proper value out of a Gaudreau trade is you find a team that's that's truly desperate. And I could think of no team more desperate than a team like Buffalo. So <laughs> I've speculated about, uh, you, you talk about draft day trades, Gaudreau for their first this year and next year and the uh the mcdavid for picks model suggested that that's a, an extreme overpay on the part of the buffalo sabers and i suspect that that's probably the only way that you would get goodrow is to starkly overpay but um scaling things down to more fair value do you think the number eight pick on its own for Gaudreau, is that uh, enough value for you at this time? Or would you just think that you run it back and hope that uh, you find a different mix? Yeah. I mean, in the end, it's going to, if you're in the mindset of we're going to trade him, um, I just think the value comes from much of play. I think if you can get a, a high pick for, if you can get a really high pick in a draft for him, like I think Calgary would probably push to add more than that, more than just that pick. Um, you know, Trey Tr- Living's never been one to just accept the first offer. Um, he's always, it seems like he's one that will go down every back alley before he uh, finds which one fits. But, but yeah, I mean, Calgary's just been one where they haven't had too many kicks of the can with high swings. And so I think, that, that would be something that they would absolutely love to do, but I don't know if teams would be would be willing to do that, especially a team like Buffalo with their with their new management and their new way of going about things. You know, I think that's still a you never know what's going to happen. My my like fun speculation was, what if Colorado wanted to add some push on their second line? They've got some depth at forward. They've got some depth at D coming. They've got some offensive guys there with McCarr and Byram. I wondered if you could squeeze uh, Sam, Samuel Gerard plus plus for, uh, for Goudreau out of, uh, out of Colorado. Yeah, I think you'd be more liable to get a guy like Byram in that type of deal rather than Gerard. I think Gerard is, is fairly well locked into that system. They've got him on such a value contract for a long time. And it's, it's crazy yeah, considering what an elite uh, transition player that Makar is. But Gerard is almost even better. And just looking at the defense situation in Calgary, is that really a need for them? Oh, they, um, they've struggled for a number of years now to have a true guy that can, that can run the power play. They had it in Dougie Hamilton, but they just didn't use him. Um, they, I think just the coaches there just didn't, didn't trust him as the last guy back or, or something along those lines defensively. But, um, but they don't – the one thing about Calgary, and this is, this is kind of how I, I look at the team, is I go, who has the best one-timer? Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking, like from your perspective, who do, you, who has the best one timer on the team? Oh God, um, is it is it already Rasmus Anderson? <laughs> it could very well be. Uh, who has the best slap shot? I would think that it's Giordano, but I, I don't know. I'm not really that. Yeah. In terms of on defense, like I'm not really yeah. that concerned with who's got that elite shot. I think that if you're building things around a defenseman's shot, we've seen it in Montreal that you're you're putting yourself behind the eight ball if if that's kind of what you're building your 
offense around. Like the Oilers had maybe the best power play in the league and Oscar Clefbaum almost never shot. And if he did, it was just like a wrist shot looking for tips. There, it's um, like defensive as well, but but I think just throughout this team, um, when they got when they first got Elias Lindholm and he came over, um, he's playing the right side on that power play, and for the first time in a long time, you saw Johnny Gaudreau make a cross team pass on the power play to Lindholm, and Lindholm fire off a one one timer off that that uh, that far side, and it was like whoa, this hasn't happened in a long time. If if they can start getting these types of opportunities and shots from the right side as well, because Johnny doesn't really offer you that from the left side. Um, you've now added some sort of mystery because the whole mystery at this point was Monaghan in the slot. That's, that's what they're looking for. And so you can start to add. And so when you don't have an elite shot from the point, when you don't have a one-timer option from the right side, like it, it starts to get, um, you know, it starts to get a little bit predictable. And when it comes down to really shutting it down in the playoffs or different places, you know, it's, it's a little harder. They, they, they were able to really produce this year um, pretty decently in the playoffs, um, especially against Winnipeg there, I think. But, uh, but, you know, there's some things that are there with this team that they're just, they have, a, they added, once they went and added that depth, they had a whole bunch of B plus, but their, their top line stuff is they just don't have the same stuff as some of the other teams have that that really heavy like watch out he's a shooter like watch out he's firing bombs from the back end like they there's some you know things in their arsenal that they they just don't have and uh and even coming forward especially on that back end for the defenseman um you know who's going to be running the power play moving forward like i guess it's rasmus um it, it could you know i have no idea what they're thinking when it comes to oliver shillington they have they have Valimaki and they just wouldn't put that pressure on him. So I guess it's Giordano and Rasmus, and we'll see what happens with Eric Gustafson. I really don't know. It's a it's a whole bunch of question marks. So getting back to the point, getting back, getting someone with like some offensive defenseman, which I thought you know with Byron's coming up, then you've got Gerard or whatever the case. And so just trying to figure out what would be a fit for for a team that's really making a push, and what would be a fit for Calgary getting back. Yeah, I think uh, I think if Colorado was looking to add a guy like Gaudreau, they wouldn't want to subtract from their main roster. And I think they're also keeping an eye on the future with uh, the fact that McKinnon's going to take all of the money in a few years' time. So they're 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 going to want to keep as many value contracts and entry level contract possibilities as possible. And they'd probably rather not have to pay Gaudreau in a couple of years, but certainly if they were giving up uh, just a couple of picks, they, they could probably find a way to fit him in and just uh, soup up their roster. You've mentioned Tree Living a, a few times and ultimately these decisions are up to him, but I wonder, he's one of the longest tenured GMs now. Is his time up? I don't, I don't know that it is. Um, you know, I think there's some people that do want just a general change. I think they could go in a change route if they internally decide that they are going to turn the team over in a certain regard, like that they're going to retool, that they're going to be a seller these off seasons, um, which they very much might be. And if they do, they very much might think that Brad's the, a good guy for that. Uh, like I said, he's, he's never been one to make trades right away. Um, 
he's very good at just serving the market, looking at everything and trying to find those value things. Um, he has overpaid a little bit in times of free agency and that kind of stuff. But as far as trades and as far as um, the Flames drafts in the last number of years, it's been good. They just really haven't had the firepower to, you know, they've just given away a lot of their first, second, third round picks. So having those guys in the system, they just, they don't have because they've been, they've been trying to add guys with that. And, but they've always been advocates that we don't want to add, we want to add guys with term too. So when they're making these trades and stuff, you know, when they're, when they're trading away Dougie Hamilton and Michael Furland, they're getting back, you know, Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin, they're getting big pieces back. So he's, he's a unique one to do this, but if you're just kind of selling and looking for future assets and stuff, he's, he's, he hasn't done that. So it's, it's a 50, 50 to me. If the, if just the ownership thinks that that's the thing that he's great at, but I just, I don't see much except for confidence in him. So I believe that he's, he's fine at his job. Yeah, and he seemed to navigate the uh, the Peters situation fairly well. So what about Jeff Ward? He had the interim tag, and it seemed like he kind of lost the uh, lost the battle of, of interim coaches, and whoever lost that one was probably going to get punted out, and the other guy's going to get a long-term deal. So unfortunate for him, but do you think he pushed enough buttons to uh, be brought back, or are they going to look for a big change-up? Um, like I said, I, I, with, with Bradshaw living, I think he just looks at all the options. I think he did a good job with his team, especially in turning the mood. Um, you know, obviously it was, uh, it was heavy and for good reason. And he, and he right away, he started coming in and he was speaking to guys that he used to, uh, used to have on his team. Like he kind of motivated Milan Lucic and he got the guys to just kind of loosen up and, and uh you know play music in during warm-ups and during practices and and just little things like that you know he's kind of known as the player's coach in 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 that regard but it's yeah he went you know he kind of took a situation that was just awful and seemed to pull some good things out of it which is what you would hope for him um there are some coaches out there i don't know who would be the right fit like you said this is just a they're assessing right now. They, they just have to be, they have to just be looking at all this and going, how can we push forward? And if we can't, what are, what are our options then? But I think there's a decent chance he comes back as head coach. I'm going to throw a name out there and uh, I'm going to see how you react to it. Does, <laughs> d- does hiring Bruce Boudreaux confine them to losing in the first round for all time? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. See, and I, I'm just one where, um, you know, the, Calgary Flames fans will tell you that that in the last number of years there's been usage problems where like we just felt like guys were underutilized. You know, there were so many there was a long period of time where people were just screaming to put uh Mashapane higher uh, in the lineup and to give uh you know to to take some people off the power play, put other people up. People had those concerns for quite a long time, but as far as systems and as far as like getting good production out of uh, some of these guys uh, I don't think that's ever been a problem. Like I don't think that a new coach coming in and and with a new type with a new type of system is just going to absolutely revitalize this team. And um, I'm still kind of looking back. I'm still kind of shocked that two years ago where the where the Flames finished, but it's just they were so um, they just used their depth night in and night out to be a dangerous team and and hard to beat because they were so good at they were so smart at keeping the puck, especially in transition. 
uh, I don't know. I don't know what a coach is going to add, even the top tier one. I don't know if you could get more mustard out of the bottle. Yeah, fair enough. Um, what about the goaltending? Do you think they just they just run it back, or is there any desire to try to upgrade? And would that be fraught with peril? <laughs> I I think they stick with what they have. That would be my best guess. Um, the reports that I've that I've uh, heard and uh, read and people that I talked to just that they like Cam Talbot and and Talbot likes Calgary and that's probably what it'll be um, as well as because I, I just think Talbot's situation and different things, especially, you know, if Talbot is going to look now to have a two year or three year deal, like I think Calgary will try to get him on a two year. They've been really trying to like stagger, uh, stagger their decision-making whenever they can. And so uh, David Riddick is on, you know, he has one year left now. So I think that they'll probably lock up Cam Talbot in the two year range and then just continue to assess. They've still got goalies in the pipelines, but um, there's still a lot of question marks based on injuries and timelines and stuff there. So I, and I don't think that throwing money at a tender is the, is the way to go about this either. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, do you believe in any of the goaltenders on the way up? Oh, sure. They, I mean, they have some incredible athletic goaltenders in their system. Um, and even last year as well, they they brought in um, they brought in a guy Artem Zagadulin, who I really liked, especially going into the season. Uh, he struggled a bit uh, in the AHL this year, but I just think that's that's okay. Um, I think they'll just see next year what they have in him and make a decision there. But they still have a lot of guys that just um, that can be that if as long as they stay healthy. I mean, further down the road, they have Dustin Wolf which a lot of people have now put their, put their hope in. But as far as, you know, goaltenders here too, I think Zagatulin and Tyler Parsons, if he can find a way to stay healthy, is a very good goaltender. He's very agile, and I think he could be a wonderful asset at the NHL level. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with John Gillies. I just think he's, he's uh, while growing and while improving, um, he was still a little bit um, too consistent, especially on his glove hand for them. Um, the last couple of years, but yeah, but that, they do have goaltenders in the system, namely in my mind, Tyler Parsons and Dustin Wolf. But Zagadulin's a big question mark that could be fun too. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's rather promising. I think Wolf's numbers in the WHL they they speak for themselves, and that uh, that pipeline that they've that they've got uh, there that is that in uh, Everett is that is that where he's playing again yeah and Everett has impeccable systems too like so you can take a good goaltender and I, it's kind of similar to the way that Tyler Parsons was in my mind at least Tyler Parsons was in the OHL in the sense of like you have a good goaltender but also you're playing in a very good system and so it's a little bit of both. Like he, Dustin Wolf is definitely a good goaltender. He's definitely putting up great numbers, but also is he in a fantastic, um, you know, in a fantastic situation in a good and in a good system? Yes, he is. And so he's going to have to do exactly what Tyler Parsons did. And when Parsons came in, he immediately got some injury troubles and, and then he was good. And uh, he's just, that's the, the label of that's what you have to do being a pro as a goaltender. You have to stay healthy and be consistent. And uh, so it's just, it's a giant, once again, with goaltenders, it's just a, I don't know, we'll see. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the Flames, they're picking what, around 19, 20? Something like that, yeah. 
Uh, who are you desperately hoping that they draft and might uh, might be a game changer for them? <laughs> uh, I sad to say I don't know if I have any like big like big ticketed like they're going after this guy. I just uh, I just think you you they've went after some guys who were steady. They've always talked about, especially in the last number of years, that they want guys who are competitive. And so they really dig into guys' backstories and find out who's the guy who's going to want to earn this. Who's the guy that's going to be taking extra drills, who's going to be determined and is, is even if their skill doesn't pan out, they'll make the NHL by sheer will. <laughs> and they've continued to go after some of those guys. And so I think that, there's, in my mind, anyways, there's some guys in this draft who I think could be really fun for the Flames to take around those ranges. Um, you know, Jacob Perot, guys that add an element, like I talked about before, that they don't have, like a big shot, somebody who can fire off a one-timer, somebody who can, you know, even potentially play the right side. There's some options there. I think Flames have drafted a ton of, of centermen in the lower half of drafts in the last while too. So, But even just having that, you know, grabbing another – centerman who can play potentially second line for you one day these are you know these are some things that I could go after too I don't know if I have a big target around those ranges um there is some guys there that are fun uh especially from the WHL like I think a lot of people have thought Connor Zary might be a good fit for them in that spot um what about you is there anybody that you think could be right off the bat for the Flames well I don't think that he's going to be available by then because the Oilers will have already drafted him. But Seth Jarvis is perhaps my favorite player who's not pegged to be a top 10. Yeah. And I think that's, Oh, if, if Seth Jarvis was there for the flames, you, you take him and go. And, and, but uh, yeah, I, he's an, I mean, Seth Jarvis is an interesting player too. Like all the talks around him is that, you know, the top 10 is kind of locked in, but if you want a gamble outside of that, then, Jarvis is your guy, you know, because Jarvis is your guy who down the road could be a top five, um, something in that range. But yeah, I mean, I could see, I could see, but the Flames have taken talent without size in the lower half ones. So if they could get somebody with a bit of size, I think that they would do that, you know, and whoever's kind of fallen to them at that point, you know, if it's a Dawson Mercer, um, if it's a, if it's an uh, Rodian Amarov, I think that they go that too. I think having another, defenseman who can who's big and smart in Braden Schneider I think they might look to do that too um Dick Perot as well I think that there's a there's a lot of options the one that I was actually really like I was thinking about this the other day and I just couldn't get it out of my mind in the sense of wow I think the Flames could do this is um is Ridley Gregg in the WHL and here was the rationale of my mind is he fits the profile in the sense of gritty that he is not afraid to mix it up. He's not afraid to do this stuff. He's still got a big, he's still really young for the draft. Um, he's fast, his foot speed. Um, he adds an element immediately, especially for penalty kill and stuff in on the back end in future years, just because his foot speed is very, very quick north-south. Um, he's got, he just has a lot of, of room to grow. It, it would, would I be thrilled with that pick there? I, don't, I think there'd be a lot of, better guys available but that's a guy that I go I think he has a lot of things that they're going to be looking for and so if I'm throwing out my like don't be surprised if they go after him I think that would be the one that I would do 
Oh, yes, the the ineffable grit, the thing that we cannot measure, <laughs> but everyone wants to pursue. Uh, do you think that that line of thinking is just going to doom them to forever being in this in this uh, window is not open purgatory? Uh, I mean, yeah, but the I, I, there is a difference between you know grit and determination. I think they're just they're looking for guys who are determined, but you know, Flames fan as well. They I mean, Flames fans are susceptible to that grit. You know, they look at a guy like Sam Bennett and they go, why can't everyone be like this? And the reality is, is, you know, to me, Sam Bennett is captain tryhard. He, especially when the, when the games are on the line and it goes, we need to get maximum effort from you guys. You're going to get it from Sam Bennett. Were any of his goals particularly pretty? In the offseason, there was one, or like this playoffs, there was that one one-timer where he shot a rolling puck and it, everything went well, but uh, he doesn't really do that normally. He doesn't have a great, accurate sniper wrister. He doesn't deke in tight really well. He's got some good stuff, but he doesn't really, you know, his, his, his ability is low, but his try-hard is just, he gives you everything. And I think that you like those guys and you want them in your, especially in your bottom six, those guys who are going to outwork the other team every time in the playoffs. And I think if you can add more guys like that, who are, you know, third line guys from you at the end of the, you know, at the end of the first round, I think that's good. But uh, like I said, there's you, you in the first round, you got to shoot for higher. You got to shoot for someone who's, who could be a potential game changer for you in down the road. Uh, at least that's the way, that's my belief system. You got to go for a guy who, who, if this works out, it's awesome. Yeah, no doubt. At the end of this conversation, have we altered uh, any feelings of existential dread or are you still relatively disappointed with where you're at? <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll put all my cards on the table. I, two years ago, I started the, I think we should trade Sean Monaghan uh, talks and I got ripped up in <laughs> on Flames Twitter and they said, you know, how dare you? And, uh, and I'm now at the point where I, I'm as well, I've kind of accepted a sense of, I think it's okay to, to let Mark Jared down and go in a trade. And I think it's okay to, to put Johnny's name out there. And I think it's okay to, you know, there's a few different things here in the lineup where you can, you have to start putting these big fish out there. I'm okay with it. Namely because um, I'm always, I'm a person who sees the depths of the systems and stuff, you know, maybe a little bit more than, than an average fan, hopefully, because that's what I do. <laughs> but um, the flames have a lot of question marks coming. They've done very well in the draft pushing, but as far as game changers in the system, um, you know, I don't know how much they have compared to other teams. So if, if what you feel right now in your lineup is not going to push uh, enough, there's a lot of teams that are in the same position as you or better, and they have more assets coming. So I just think the Flames have to, to see that writing on the wall and then start to try to recoup some assets and move forward. Because you do have good guys. You have guys that can really, really push, like you said, to Chuck and and Mashapani and Rasmus and Valimaki, and they've got some really good pieces here. Um, you just have to start to add. You're starting to sound a little bit like Marvin the Martian trying to <laughs> trying to blow the whole thing up. <laughs> I, you know what, man, I am a little bit that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, Joel, this was a tremendous amount of fun, very informative. Before we jet, uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, on my end of things? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, with, uh, especially with um, both the organizations right now that I'm working for, we've, they've um, really just 
uh, revamp the way that they're doing things. And so Dauber Hockey had just put out their, their 2021 uh, draft preview stuff, um, you know, a top 64 uh, for that draft as well. So I was a big part of that with the WHL. And then with future considerations, they've just uh, launched a brand new website where you can do um, draft simulation for this year and you can get access to my scouting profiles and stuff too. So if you want to read up on this draft and hear and uh, read what I had to say about the upcoming WHL guys, that stuff is all access to you. So um, I share a lot of my thoughts, uh, Twitter, and I didn't know that we were going to do this. And I didn't mean, I didn't know that they were going to release all our scouting reports. So you can see my unabashed, I didn't know people were going to read these thoughts on these guys. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I'll, I'll make sure that we are checking out for that. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Joel. No problem, man. You have a good day. All right, everyone. That is our show. Thank you to Joel Henderson for coming on and providing both his Flames fan perspective as well as his scouts perspective to let us know what comes next for the Calgary Flames as we continue our post-mortem series on this podcast uh look for our next episode in this series with alex mclean we broke down the rest of what happened in round one what comes next for those losers and then as the playoffs continue we may have more uh later next week thank you for tuning into the show and please like, subscribe, review wherever you get your podcasts and continue to stay safe out there, folks.